and your schedules too. So I'm turning everything over to Pastor Mike. How many of you love Jesus? Say amen. amen. We are so thrilled that you're here today. If you're a first-time guest, we want to thank you for coming. We know that there are a lot of great churches in the West Memphis, Marion area. We're honored that you would come and worship with us today. And if you wonder if every Sunday is this crazy, it absolutely is. We have a great time. We, we believe that in the presence of the Lord, there should be fullness of joy. And we ought to have some joy, and our faces should be notified in the process. Stand, if you would, please. And let's, um, let's tackle our series text. Those of you who have been coming for several months, you probably have this one memorized in the ESV. So I'm going to throw you a curveball. We're not going to quote today, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to hear it in the message. This one is on purpose. I deliberately change the text that I read in the Bible every year when I do my read-through because it's easy, I think, sometimes to approach a passage that you think you know well, like Psalm 23, and you think you've really just squeezed all the juice out of that grape. And sometimes when you can read it in a different translation, it strikes you in a, in a new way, and you get new insight. And so this morning, for all of, you, all of you that thought, well, you know what, it's easy, we have this memorized, I don't even have to look at the screen, we're going to look at it in the message, which is a great paraphrase. Here we go. Let's say it out loud together. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. Bow your hearts with me, please. Spirit of the living God, we thank you today that you're in this place, that you have touched us already, Lord, in the deep places of our hearts. As we lift our hearts in worship to you and give the sacrifice of praise, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have free reign to move and to touch and to strengthen and edify and to correct and to adjust, Lord, to build up. Lord, we ask you today to do that. Open our hearts. We, we come today and we ask you, Lord, to open our hearts. We, we can't do that in our own ability. It's going to take you today, Jesus, to do that. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Give us, Lord, new understanding, new insight. We'll be so careful to give you all the praise because we know that apart from you, we are nothing we can't do anything, but Lord Jesus, with you, we can do everything that you've called us to do and be. We'll be careful to give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. This is number 20 in the series, On His Mark. We are particularly talking about the mark of Jesus Christ that he has set for us as an example uh, it's a play on the little term that you grew up every time you heard a bajillion times when you would compete with your friends on the playground or in a foot race or king of the hill or whatever. We would say, on your mark, get set, go. And because we understand that the gospel has commissioned us, the church is to be a people on mission. We're not, only, we're not to get on our mark, but we're to get on his mark. On his mark, get set, and go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations. That's the commission that is given to us. Uh, Peter's eyewitness account is told to his disciple John Mark. This is what we're studying as we look today. This little mini-series, this is number two. We're only doing two called Faith or Offense. It's your choice. Inside this larger series, it's which we're at number 20. But last week we talked about something that Jesus said to the woman, the Canaanite woman of mixed breed. She was a Syrian Phoenician or a Syro-Phoenician. 
And Jesus basically responded to her the way covenant Israel had been acting. They had lost their way. They were called of God to be a mediatorial nation, to be the firstborn among the nations and to be a demonstration, an example of what it means to serve, to get on the mark of God and not to look to be served, but to serve and to lay their lives down for those that were held hostage, those that were in bondage, a ransom for many, the ESV says. Somewhere along the way, they began to develop sort of an air of superiority, a kind of a conceit, a spiritual arrogance, and they saw themselves as above every other nation and all the other Gentiles as dogs. And so when Jesus goes outside of the boundaries of the covenant people of God and the the, the, the perimeters of the Holy Land, and he encounters this Syrophoenician woman. She comes to him begging him, saying, Would you please heal my daughter who is struggling under the power, the influence of demonic forces? And Jesus responds in a kind of an insulting sort of way, and he says, It's not good for me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs or give it to the dogs. And she's not going to be offended in any kind of way because she knows that he is the son of David, the Messiah. And she responds quickly and with quick wit not just being fast with her tongue, but it's filled with faith. And Jesus is so amazed when the woman responds and he says, Yes, you know, I may be a dog in some folks' eyes, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, I, This faith of this woman is amazing. Go your way. You'll find your little girl at home and well. And sure enough, the lady departed. She went back to her daughter. And the word of Jesus had brought freedom from bondage to her. This woman could have gotten offended because of something that Jesus said. The message this morning that we're going to launch into is not so much about what Jesus says, but it's how he does something. So I'll just set that up with uh, what we want to look at here in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Now I'm going to read this out loud. You don't have to read out loud with me, but just follow along. Then he, that we're talking about Jesus, he left the region of Tyre went through Sidon, back to Galilee Lake, and over to the district of the ten towns. In your Bibles, it probably says Decapolis. Deca meaning ten, like a decade of ten years, or a deci, you know, decimal system is based on ten. Polis is the word for city. Metropolis. Decapolis is ten towns area. So it says some people brought a man who could, who could neither hear nor speak and asked Jesus to lay a healing hand on him. He took the man off by himself, put his fingers in the man's ears, and some spit on the man's tongue. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm already grossed out, okay? Um, so let's just go ahead and get the rest of this. Then Jesus looked up in prayer and groaned mightily and commanded in Aramaic, which was the common language of the people. He says in Aramaic, Ephatha which means to be opened or open up. And he groans it out in a very intense kind of way. And the scripture says, and it happened. I love those three words. Say it with me. And it happened. The man's hearing was clear and his speech plain, just like that. Look at your neighbor and say, just like that. I love it. Beside them, Jesus urged them to keep it quiet, but they talked it up all the more. Beside themselves, with excitement, they said, He's done it all, and he's done it all well. He gives hearing to the deaf and speech to the speechless. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. We ask for your blessing today as you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see and our mouths to speak. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. All right. My first point. If your prayer is answered, 
Does it really matter how? If your prayer gets answered, does it really matter how? And that's, that's the real question that we're looking at this morning because there are several layers to this today. I, I, I have to just sort of speak openly with you today because I just want to say to you, there's some, there's some things that I read in this passage that um, sort of put me off a little bit. Now, if, if I've been deaf and mute my whole life, I probably would be in a place where if I felt like somebody could bring some change to my way I was living and could, could sort of raise me up out of this bondage that I was in, I would probably be more open to it. But right now, just reading the story and getting the surface details, it's just, I don't know, it's just a little bit gross to me. Now, I, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but I just want to talk straight to you. Just as a man, just the idea of another man putting his fingers in my ears, it just kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I, I don't want to, you know, maybe that's not a big deal to you. Uh, but maybe that's just me. Now, I just want to tell you that I, I go to the hospitals a lot. I ride the elevators. A lot of times I do the stairs because I want to just try to burn a few extra calories as much as I can. But I go to the big hospitals and it's crowded. I'm the guy on the elevator. If, it's, if I'm by myself, I'm standing in the middle of it. When the door is open, here come the people. I go to the far end. I, I, I need as much social space. And I want to give you yours too. So I'm that guy. I'm, I, I want to, you know, I just don't, don't get up in my face and so to think about somebody coming along and taking my face in their hands and sticking their fingers in my ears just doesn't quite sit right with me. I don't know about you. Probably a couple of guys in the room maybe think the same way I do. But it just pushes me over the edge when he spits on his finger and then puts it on the guy's tongue. I, I'm, I, I just, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Um, Fingers in the ears is one thing, invading my space, but it's disgusting to think about somebody spitting and then spitting in my mouth. Essentially, is what's going on. You know, Jesus violated some laws here. Book of Leviticus talks about the uncleanness of what it calls spittle. And it talks about someone who gets spit in the face. They are literally separated from the camp and they're unclean ceremonially for an extended period of time. Just a short, not a, not, not a long time. We're not talking about weeks, but maybe a day or two, okay? Uh, the Old Testament laws are pretty fascinating because throughout history, uh, there have been times where science has really been behind until someone actually opened the Bible with fresh eyes and began to ask questions. Why were the laws of Moses put into place when someone was discovered to be contagious uh, with any kind of disease, whether it was a spot on their skin, or you know, they're, 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 there's, there's a mucus discharge, they're sneezing, they're coughing, whatever, uh, then the law of Moses required Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and different places, it specially said that they had to be quarantined. They were removed from the rest of the camp. And uh, this wasn't just because of a ceremonially unclean sin issue, but it was also for protection for the rest of the camp. There was a hygienic motivation behind this. And uh, we, we literally go through centuries, yea, even millennia, before someone begins to discover. And it was actually a Christian physician who was seeking God after having struggled with some very, very rudimentary, fundamental, I'll go so far as to say, uh, uh, actually just uh, very, very basic surgery, trying to help people. And everybody was dying because he didn't know that he should 
make sure that the area that he's operating on was clean itself and that the utensils were not used over and over and over again. It, it was a Christian physician who began to pray and seek the face of God who first discovered this whole concept that came from Leviticus regarding something that could be contaminated or contagious or infectious. And the first person who actually postulated the theory of germs that can't be seen was a Christian doctor who was seeking God and got some understanding from the book of Leviticus. It's amazing when you see sometimes the things that happen when you look back in history uh, at that point in time, the Bible didn't have a black eye the way it does these days in the 21st century. Uh, I teach history out at Mid-South Community College. Uh, I have one section of American history that I teach at 8 a.m. Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. And this last week we were dealing with the Puritans, the planting generation of America. And it was really quite fascinating for some of the students to hear about what is known as the greatest American university, which is Harvard University, began in 1636 for the sole purpose of training preachers of the gospel to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and do it well. And to think about its roots in 1636 and why it was formed and how far away it's moved from that today is very, very dramatic. Uh, when we look back at history, there are things that we can learn. Winston Churchill said it this way, the farther backward you can look, the farther forward you can see. And the Bible is filled with amazing historical examples of how God moved and came through because history is His story. It is the redemptive unveiling, revealing, demonstrating of God's purpose to call a people to Himself out of every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue. Somebody say amen. That's what history is about. And when we can look at it through a Christian lens, through a set of glasses where we see Christ in the middle of it and being involved in the lives of not only people individually, but in the lives of nations, then we can see some pretty amazing things. Jesus violates some of these laws, and I think it's for a purpose. I think he was trying to show us that the spit of man may be unclean, but the spit of God isn't. And the thought about it now, if I can kind of put you into a different kind of a mindset... You know what, if I'm sick enough and I'm desperate enough, I'll be willing to do some stuff that otherwise might disgust me. When I, when I really finally get to a place where I'm recognizing how great my need is, and Jesus was really showing us as Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God walking among people, walking among men and women, how amazing it would be before sin entered because Jesus is the prototype of the new creation man. He's the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible says in Romans 8, 29. So we now are a whole assembly line uh, following the prototype, the original patterned son that are coming off, being born bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. His very spiritual DNA birthed us into the kingdom of God. Okay, We're not second-class children that have been adopted. We've been born again into the kingdom, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Somebody say amen. All right. I want to tell you a story because this guy here really doesn't react. He obviously cares more about getting healed than he cares about how it happened. And this is a very positive side. Reading this is extremely unusual to us because Jesus sort of set aside all of those laws of hygiene and quarantine and infectious, contagious disease and where the spittle of a person is involved. And if someone was spit on, they had to be separated from the camp for a couple of days until they were cleansed or they washed, okay? Jesus is God in the flesh. He's, he's coming with a whole different perspective. And 
He's, he's, he's looking to see how desperate this man is. Finger in the ears, spit on the tongue, and the ears opened, and the, the mouth is loosed, and he not only immediately hears, but second great miracle, he immediately starts speaking plainly, which usually would involve a, a process of recovery with someone having to relearn how to talk because they're so amazed that now for the very first time they can hear themselves. Do you realize that when you can't hear properly, you can't speak correctly? Have you ever heard a person who is deaf... Many times, if they're not mute, the, the way they speak is greatly impaired. There is an impediment there because they don't have the ability to hear what they're saying. Now, let's, let's, let's move away from this very positive example of a man who received from Jesus what he was asking for, though it probably came in an unexpected way, and let's sort of hit the, the rewind button and go back into the Old Testament. And I want you to see a story found in 2 Kings chapter 5, Verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to take time to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you the story. Naaman was a very powerful military leader. He served under the king of Syria. And the scripture says that the Lord had given or granted victory into the hand of Syria. So Syria is sort of kind of sitting as king of the hill, top of the world at this point in history. And Naaman somehow contracts leprosy. Leprosy among any of the peoples of the ancient world meant that someone was separated from the rest of society. It, means that they, it meant that they were separated from family, from friends, complete isolation. The king of Syria loved and respected Naaman because Naaman was a very great military leader. He was the commander of the army of Syria. So the, 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 the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel and basically says, look, your God is a great God, and we acknowledge that. We just, we just believe, I'm going to send you my servant Naaman, and I want you to do something about this leprosy. I want you, O great king of Israel, who serves the great God, I want you to do something and, and heal my servant Naaman. He's a good servant to me. The king of Israel responds in great remorse and rips his clothes. He tears his clothes just because of the recognition that he is utterly unable to do what the king of Syria has requested. Who do you think I am? I don't have this ability. And as soon as the king of Israel rips his clothes open, God whispers into the heart of the prophet who was ruling spiritually in the land at the time. His name was Elisha. He was the one who had been mentored by Elijah, the prophet. Elisha was the one who had twice as many miracles because when Elijah went up, caught up in the chariot of God, he cried out and he said, I want, I want your, a double portion of your anointing. And when the mantle fell out of the heavens from Elijah onto Elisha, literally the, the number of miracles that Elijah had performed, Elisha doubled them. It was a double portion anointing. And this is one of the miracles that happened in the ministry of the prophet Elisha. God whispers into his ear and he sends word to the king. And he says, oh great king, why have you rent your clothes? And Elisha already knew the answer. King sends back the word and he says, because the, the Syrian king has sent me, Naaman, the commander of his army, who is now stricken with leprosy and he wanted me to heal him, represent him, mediate between God and Naaman and bring healing to him. And I can't do it. I've torn my clothes because this request is so great. And Elisha says, send him on out to my house. I can intercede for him in the name of the God of Israel. And he comes out, he drives up in his chariot and Naaman is really expecting all the red carpet to be rolled out for him. He's a visiting dignitary. He's the commander of an army, of a nation, that at this point in history, the two are at least talking. 
And so Naaman is expecting all of this kind of pomp and circumstance and proper protocol for foreign dignitaries that are visiting to be afforded to him. And when he gets to Elisha's house, Elijah, Elisha actually knows he's there before he even arrives. And he just sends his servant Gehazi out to him and he gives him a word. Gehazi says, Oh, great Naaman, the prophet of God has said such. He said this, if you'll go and dip yourself into the Jordan River seven times, then you'll be cleaned of your leprosy. And Naaman is really put off. He's thinking, well, what's up with this? I, I'm, a, I'm a visiting dignitary. I'm a general. I'm a commander of a very important nation in the world. And my king wrote your king, and your king sends me to you, and you don't even have the... The, 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 the God-guided guts to show up outside and come shake my hand and make me feel welcome, maybe set me down to a feast? You want to just send out your servant, your house slave? Who do you think you are? And Naaman ignores the word of the Lord that basically is given with the same authority as if Jehovah had spoken it himself. Elisha says, go dip yourself into the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cleaned. And Naaman is so caught up in the fact that what he was hoping to happen didn't happen, that he forgot why he was there. He was there to get a word to get some healing. And look at what happens. This is verse 11 and 12. The scripture says, Naaman lost his temper, turned on his heel, saying, I thought he'd personally come out and that he would meet me and call on the name of God and wave his hand over the diseased spot and get rid of the disease. He was wanting somebody to coddle him and make him feel how important that he knew himself he really was. He was somebody. He'd been on the cover of, of Fortune 500 on Forbes. He, he was somebody. He, he, he went on the cover of Men's Health until he got this disease. I just thought for sure the prophet of God would show up and call in the name of God in a great big kind of a pompous way and wave his hand over the spot and get rid of the disease. And this is what he said. He says, the Damascus rivers back at home in Syria, the Abana and the Farpar are cleaner by far than any of the rivers in Israel. Jordan River is muddy. It would be like me saying to you, you want to get rid of this rash that the doctors don't have any explanation of? Let's go on out here to the Mississippi River and let me baptize you. I've had the privilege of baptizing people in the Mississippi River and the picture of me was that I had been in mud up to my knees because it was just the water had just receded recently and all that silt and the deposit there that the river brings down, I'm literally trying to dig out. And I reached down into, my, into the hole where my knee was to get my shoe out up to my elbow in mud. It was a fun experience. Now, the person who wanted to be baptized wanted that experience. He wanted to be baptized out in the Mississippi River. And that was really cool. But can you imagine when you are so self-absorbed with importance that you think that only certain people have the ability to pray for you? Now, I'm going to say something right here that you can just think it's self-serving all you want to, but and I forgive you. But it's the same kind of way when people are in the hospital and they go, well, why didn't Pastor Mike come see me? Why did he send that second in command or so-and-so? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I mean, if, if we really re believe that it's God who does it and prayer is not bounded by wherever we are in any circumstance, sometimes stuff is going on and we're having to run as pastors two or three running interference among two or three different circumstances and situations. And, and we're no respecter person. We want to love and treat everybody the same around here. But sometimes we just get up to our neck in stuff that's going on. And, and we say, hey, will you go to this and pray for them? And 
And sometimes if some folks are thinking, you know, well, why didn't the prophet come out and wave its hand? Let me tell you, any of these people around here can pray and get a hold of Jesus just like I can. Come on, somebody. This is a team. And it's not whether I'm in the pulpit every Sunday. This is a team. Come on, somebody, say amen. And so, so this is what basically he says, you know, why not bathe in them? I can go back home. I've come all this way for nothing. My king wrote your king a letter, and you send this little house slave out to tell me this. Why not go bathe in the rivers from my own country? At least I'd get clean. And he stomped off mad as a hornet. And one of his own men, his underlings, had to say to him, Oh, great general, now think about this. If the prophet had sent word and asked you to do a heroic deed and enter into battle and conquer an enemy, you would have done it without even thinking anything about it. Do you want to be healed? I really, how desperate are you to get healed? Why don't you just go do what he said do and let's see if the Lord will come through for you. And the Bible says he heard the voice of his servant and went down to the Jordan River and he dipped into it five, six the seventh time he came up out of the water and his leprosy was gone. And his testimony was once he was willing to do and lay his pride down because sometimes God will fix a fix to fix the fix that you're in. And this is what the way my pastor used to say it, that I was raised under and mentored. He said, God will fix you. He'll fix a fix to fix your fix. And I'm going, okay, let me keep up with all the fixes here. But this is the deal. God is not just interested in healing my, my physical body. Sometimes He wants to heal my spiritual pride. And if it means fingers in my ears and spit on my tongue, or if I'm a prophet and I'm crying out to God because I'm depressed all of a sudden, my name is Elijah and I've spoken the word of the Lord and said there will be no rain until my word is given. And He's dwelling by the brook Cherith or Kareth, depending on how you say it. And all of a sudden the brook dries up and he has to wake up one day and realize, you know what? There is no water in the brook because there's been no rain. Oh, wait, I'm the one who prayed no rain. I can't get mad at anybody except myself. Sometimes you're going through things today because of prayers you prayed yesterday that are going to get you on your way to what you've been asking God to do. Sometimes God will use muddy river water not just to heal your spiritual, your natural, physical leprosy, but He wants to take you down and thoroughly baptize you seven times in that to help you humble yourself so that God can do something greater with you than He's ever even let you in on the secret that He wants to do with you. Hallelujah! Sometimes God uses a dirty bird. To the children of Israel, ravens were unclean. So Elijah, the first prophet who mentored Elisha in this story we're talking about, Elijah cries out to God in 1 Kings 17 and in 19 in that whole area right in there. And, and, and God literally brings him provision. First of all, a bird that doesn't eat the mouthful of food that he's carrying. That's a miracle in itself. And then the fact that the prophet who is interested in what the law of God says, but he lets the dirty bird, the unclean bird, bring him something to eat and he's willing to eat it. How many of you know God can use a dirty bird to bring provision into your life? Somebody asked me recently at our purple book, or I think I actually raised the question myself that had come from a previous purple book time. They said, you know, pastor, if somebody wins big at the track, can they tie that victory? I said, honey, it's been the devil's money long enough. Bring it on in. We'll get it sanctified. <laughs> I'll let a dirty bird, come on, baby. We'll, we'll, we'll bring it into the offering. We'll pray over it, get it sanctified in the name of Jesus. It's no longer the devil's. It's been brought into the kingdom of God now. Don't look at me in that religious tone of voice. 
Nope, don't have time for that. <laughs> Are you desperate enough to get your prayer answered? We're in Bible school, Dawn and myself, and we're in a little prayer group one Tuesday night. And Miss Goldie, who is an octogenarian, she's 84 years old at the time, raised great children, has wonderful grandchildren that have been two generations in the church of which we were part, spread out probably four or five generations of people, brand newborns all the way people up into the 90s in Praise Tabernacle where we were in a church-based Bible school. Miss Goldie's a sweet little lady. Her husband has recently passed. Brother Mr. Henry has passed and gone on to be with Jesus. And Miss Goldie is just a sweet little woman who is just trying to make it. She's got a little pension that Henry left her and she's got a social security check. And she's been widowed now for a number of years and her house is in disarray. And men in the church had already done a number of things trying to help her and minister to her. The same way we here at Victory experience this kind of real, true, spiritual love, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one toward another. And the men of the church had made repairs, but she was needing major repairs. She asked for prayer. She said, I need a new roof on my house, and I, just, I can't afford it. I don't have the money. I don't know where it's going to come from. And God is my witness as I stand here. The next time we met for prayer... A hurricane had blown through North Carolina and it had ripped the roof off of Miss Goldie's house and it was covered with plastic and she was standing there in tears and she says, you know, I just want to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Uh, my, I needed a new roof and my roof is gone and it had just happened the day before and we gathered for prayer at the church and, and somebody said, Miss Goldie, do you not realize that because the storm ripped the roof off your house, your insurance will put a whole new roof on there for you? <laughs> And she gets big-eyed and she starts doing her little Pentecostal dance. She's 84, but she's still got a little bit of a, can I do what the black guy did on there? However he did that. I can't, no, no, can't do it. She, anyway, she's dancing. She's just so excited. She's praising God. And the whole point is that sometimes when God answers your prayer, he doesn't do it the way you think he's going to. Sometimes to get a new roof on your house, you have to have a storm blow through and rip the old one off. Hallelujah. I love it. My son graduated from Arkansas State University in 2011 with a degree in international business. He had studied Spanish three years in high school, four years in college. He'd spent a semester in Spain at the University of Huelva. He did an internship in Ecuador. And Drew had an ear. He has a little musical talent himself, like Abby. And he had an ear for languages he could learn and pick up. And he's just big personality, very conversant. And he was great in Castilian Spanish, in classroom Spanish. And so he graduates and he's working with the Career Opportunity Center there at A-State. And he's just papering the whole area, sending out resumes, uh, monster.com. He's doing everything he can, trying to get somebody's attention to throw out the hook and try to get, get it baited well and somebody to call him for an interview. And nothing is happening it is dead. He's home for a few weeks, and I said, okay, son, you're going to have to get you a job. He says, I said, your job right now, your job is to look until you find a job. Your job is to find a job. Some friends hooked, hooked him up with Tremendous Nursery. He went to work out here uh, the summer of 2011, and he said, okay, you'll be making $10 an hour. And Drew said, oh, I'm a college graduate. What am I going to take $10 an hour? And so he goes to work, and the, the guy who runs the place who owns it found out that Drew could speak Spanish, and he's got a couple of migrant Mexican workers who probably know about 10 words of English. 
And Drew's responsibility every day was to go out there and make sure that these guys clearly understood what the boss said they had to do. And they're, they're cutting the grass at the dog track, and the guy's got big accounts, and he's, you know, all these church lots and everything all over the place, and they're cutting grass. He's getting up at 6 a.m. He's at work by about 6.15, 6.30, I think, every morning. And he's working 10 and 12-hour days, and he's, he is exhausted. He is working like he has never worked in his life, and I'm loving every second of it. I just can't believe this. I just, I'm, 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 I'm sending out resumes. And I'm a college graduate. $10 an hour. I ought to be making twice. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, you better be faithful with what you have right now. I'm, I'm just going to quit. I said, no, you do not. You, you better not quit this job until you've got another job in the place of it. Three work, three months. And he gets a call back from an insurance company. So we send him to Fayetteville. We're still covering expenses. At this point, he's still on my payroll, and I'm going, it's time to get you off of this thing. <laughs> he goes to Fayetteville, and he's trying to do some training with some insurance, and he's over there about three months, and he's just saying, this isn't for me. And he makes a connection with C.H. Robinson while he's over there, which is the company he works for now, which is a logistics transportation company. They where FedEx will ship your individual package, C.H. Robinson is shipping outrageous amounts of product from China to Walmart, okay? And so they'll put it on a plane, they'll put it on a boat, they'll put it on rail, they'll put it on trucks, all of these things, and he's coordinating it, what he does now. But let me just tell you the story. He connects with them, and they call him in for an interview, and Drew, Drew makes a good first impression. He's a good talker. Got to get a little bit of that from his dad, I guess. And they call him back for the second interview. He's real excited. He's calling us. Please pray. This may be a great thing. This is a great company. It's a fortune, either three or 400 company. They're in 250 nations around the world. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's, it's worth repeating again to those of you who even have. And he gets called in for the third interview, which, by the way, gets conducted completely in Spanish. And so it's after that interview that they give him the word that he gets the job. So he calls and he does a three-way call where he pulls me and his mom together on the phone and he says, I just want to tell you, every morning where I got up nearly in a cuss, going, I'm a college graduate, I can't believe that I'm out here working on this job. He says, let me tell you what God was doing. He said, I've been conversant in classroom Spanish for years, but the kind of Spanish that they talked to me in when they interviewed me wasn't classroom Castilian Spanish, it was Mexican slang. And if I hadn't been out there every day, 10 hours a day, talking to Pedro and Alejandro, whatever their names were, if I hadn't been out there every day, just gritting my teeth, 105 degrees, sweating down to my, and, and just trying to make it, if I hadn't been out there every day and I had talked to those guys day in, day out, day in, day out, three months, hearing them talk the street slang, he said, I wouldn't have been able to converse with them because they didn't talk classroom Spanish to, to me when they interviewed me. It was street slang because they knew I would be talking to Hispanic truck drivers who don't speak classroom Spanish. And he said, I didn't know it, but the very thing that I was cursing on a daily basis was God's classroom to get me ready for the job that I now have. And the moral of the story is, if you'll be faithful with where you are right now, the seeds of your future success are sitting right there with you and how you handle the little things. Whether you can get on his mark and not just say, I'm a college graduate, somebody needs to serve me. 
But if we can do what Jesus did and say, I've not come to be served, but I've come to serve and to lay my life down and to see the, 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 the beauty in the little things, to be faithful in the little things. And if I'll be faithful in the little things, God says, I'll make you ruler over much. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give God praise. So this morning, are you desperate enough to get your prayer answered? Are you Miss Goldie, you need a roof on your house? Well, just guess what? God is so big and so sovereign, he can stir up a storm by just kind of going and bring you a new roof. He can put you into a training school with a couple of guys from Mexico to teach you how to speak their street language so that knowing that in the, in the months ahead, you're going to get to sit down and become an employee for the kind of company that you wanted to work for if you'll just be willing and faithful and follow him and keep your heart right and keep a good attitude and stay strong in it. And you know what? He just called me and he said, Dad, if you hadn't made me keep it, I, I, I wouldn't have kept a good attitude. He said, thank you. And I'm just going, God, can I record this somehow so I can... <laughs> Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Last point this morning and I'm finished. Are you getting anything out of, the, out of this? Last point. Jesus' ministry can be summed up in one word. The Aramaic word, ephatha. Say it with me, ephatha. It means be opened. Jesus groaned this word over a man who had been deaf and practically mute his whole life. Now think with me. Think about the isolation that this man experienced. You grow up in a society where, where people are laughing and you can see them with their heads back and their teeth and they're smiling and, and maybe even reach over and touch the arm of the person who's laughing and you can feel the vibration but you can't hear the joy. And you don't know what you sound like when you try to enter in with them and you feel that awkwardness of the wall or the barrier that separates you from your family and your friends. And even now as I'm making an attempt to try to be a productive member of society and he's in the marketplace and trying to buy groceries and He's trying to just to conduct business in his daily affairs. And everything is a struggle. Everything begins with not being able to hear. And because he can't hear, he can't speak clearly. Can you imagine the isolation that this man feels? And the thing that I see in this is that he is not just one snapshot picture of what Jesus can do to bring healing into one person's life. But this one word sums up the whole ministry of Jesus because it's because of sin that every one of us have been deaf and mute. We cannot hear the voice of the Father and the good news of the gospel until the Holy Spirit comes into this room this morning and sticks His fingers in your ears and says, be opened. And it's only at that moment when faith begins to arise. You can't speak the language of faith until you can hear the language of faith. You can't speak properly because you can't hear properly. The Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now the ears are opened and the man hears and the second miracle takes place. Not just that his ears open, but that immediately without having to be retrained through speech classes and speech therapy, he just immediately begins to speak clearly. And it's two miracles that take place there. And let me tell you, that same thing can happen in this service this morning. If your ears have never been hoping, the gospel is the only thing that has the ability to penetrate that. And it's not my good preaching. There is no preaching ability of any man 
who has the ability to regenerate you out of spiritual death. Only God can come and breathe life and speak into your life and open up the isolation and the bondage and the brokenness. Some of you are sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning and you feel like you have been isolated because of an addiction that has gone too long too far and people are at their wits end with you. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make some changes. You're going to have to get some help. You can't help yourself. You don't have the ability. It's going to take Jesus Christ. It's going to take some of His followers walking with you. You know what? A marriage that's on the rocks and that it's broken, you can't fix it. You're the one who created the problem. It's going to take Jesus getting up in the middle of the thing with you. It's going to take Him rescuing you from your isolation. The Bible says in Luke 4.18, it's the sovereign Lord who has given me, the anointed me and called me to preach the gospel to the poor to set at liberty them that are bound and that are blind and that are bruised. The good news of the gospel is to speak to every one of these, the beggar, the blind, the bruised, the brokenhearted. Jesus Christ comes to set captives free. He comes to heal broken, hurt, wounded people. Come on, put your hands together and give me praise. Jesus' whole ministry is about destroying barriers that have produced isolation in humanity. God became flesh and came down here and walked among us, lived in the neighborhood in order to break through. Everybody say breakthrough. He lived a life of service to others so he could break through. I believe there's somebody sitting here this morning that already in this service, like reading a verse in a new translation and it just sort of comes open, I believe something by the power of the Holy Spirit alone has come in and he's stuck his fingers in your ears and he's whispered over you, be open to open your soul, what has been closed, to break down a wall, to remove a barrier, to break a bondage, to remove a shackle, a chain from your life. Jesus is saying, be open, open up. Open up so you can recognize and see how amazing my love is. Open up and realize so you can know that my love never fails. My love is relentless, as we sang this morning. He's reaching. He's speaking over you, Ephatha. Last idea today I want to bring to you, and that is that every one of you have been given ears to hear for a reason. Not just to know that you have confidence that you're going to die and go to heaven. But you've been given ears to hear so you can hear and then once you hear, you can speak plainly. This is what the prophecy in Isaiah says. Isaiah 50 verses 4 and 5. The Master God has given me a well-taught tongue so I know how to encourage tired people. He wakes me up in the morning, wakes me up, everybody say the next three words, opens my ears, I love it, opens my ears to listen as one ready to take orders. The master, God, opened my ears and I didn't go back to sleep. I didn't pull the covers back over my head. Let me give this to you in the King James. The sovereign Lord has given me the tongue of the learned so that I may know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Let's go over it. Here we go. Everybody say how. How many of you know sometimes how you say something is more important than what you say? Tongue of the Lord. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned so I know how to speak a word. Everybody say what to say. A word in season. How many of you know timing is everything? Everybody say when. In season. And then finally to him that is weary. I love it. To encourage tired people. Nothing can make you tired more quickly than a bunch of religious rules and some Pharisees that are trying to pile them on your back. 
Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, the gospel is this. Jesus is speaking, Ephatha, be opened over every person in this audience. Those that are listening right now, you may turn this on five years from today in September when we're preaching it. You may listen down the road, maybe driving down the road in your car right now. Somebody I feel like I'm prophesying to right now in the name of Jesus. He's saying to you, be opened. Be opened in your life. You've been closed. You've been in prison. You've been isolated long enough. And the Spirit of God has come to stick His fingers in your ears and to give you ear hearing so that you can begin to speak. Those of you that are in here this morning and you know that you're a child of God, you don't have spiritual hearing just to sit back and go, I can hear. But you can hear so you can speak, so you can learn how to encourage tired people. God wants to give you the tongue of the learned so you know how to speak a word to Him in season that He's weary. I want to say to you today, weary with religion, weary with expectation, weary with blowing it and having hurt the family, weary with disappointing yourself, weary with failure, weary with mistakes, Jesus Christ loves every one of you in this room. Your value to Him is not diminished. You are His and He has come to purchase you, to buy you. He did that 2,000 years ago. He laid down His life for you, for those that were in bondage, becoming a ransom for many. Are you a part of that many this morning? Do you have a prayer that you're desperate enough to let God answer how He wants to answer it? If your prayer gets answered, does it really matter how? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.